Amen. Just so everyone knows, again, reminder, we're on uh, Facebook Live. If you want to share that to your post, feel free to do that. Um, I noticed we've got friends from Wisconsin and Texas uh, tuning in to us even as we speak. So it's neat to see technology sort of bringing us all, all together in, in some way. So I'm excited uh, to preach on Luke 11, 1 to 13. If you want to open your Bibles, if you have a Bible there. Uh, but as I said, we're coming to the end of this 40 days of prayer. And um, it's neat to talk to folks and to hear about some of the stories of how God has worked and been working. Uh, I've just heard some amazing things, marriages that have been strengthened through this and um, reconciled relationships that have been broken uh, for a long time. Um, And every week we've had a different theme and it seems like God has ordained that. Uh, We started by praying for our kids and teenagers um, so right now we've got a bunch of kids, 15, 20 kids upstairs with volunteers uh, being ministered to, praying for that ministry to continue to grow and to do well, uh, take care of our kids. And for our teenagers, and as I mentioned before, we started a search for a uh, minister to youth around that time. And the, the team has been meeting, I think they've met about three times, and we've already started some conversations with potential candidates, um, but we're still open to receive more. So if you know someone that's interested or whatever, uh, send them, if they're qualified, send them, uh, have them send their resume in to us. Um, but praying that God continues to answer that prayer. Keep praying for that as we go forward. God has really uh, blessed us with some amazing teenagers, and uh, we love them, and we want to do our best ministering to them. Then we prayed for uh, the city of Haverhill and our sister churches. And I had mentioned we had our United Night of Prayer that week, which was great. We had other churches come join us. That was right around the time, too, when they had the gas explosion. Uh, so even though that wasn't in Haverhill, we're, we're praying for our ch- uh, towns that are surrounding us. And um, it, was a, it still is a difficult time. I, noticed, I know friends who still uh, don't have gas and as it gets colder and so forth and uh, but I think as we began to pray right away, I uh, went out right away on Facebook. I think, James, I think you pushed, posted it first. Um, it was only one, ca- one death, uh, which is tragic in itself. Uh, but for a, a, an event like that, you would have thought there would be a lot more injuries and death. Um, and so I think there's a real grace answering, uh, God answering prayer there. Uh, then we prayed for our church. And there was a number of different things going on in our church. But one of the very specific requests was for a truck and plow. I said that carefully, truck and plow. Uh, didn't get it wrong this time. Um, and there uh, we have the beautiful, if you haven't seen it yet, you parked in the back, really nice truck and plow. It should be registered, ready to go to plow this winter, but a lot of other things as well. Again, some re- from relationships here that were from the past that were um, maybe broken and, and really some supernatural reconciliation. Even for my own life, a couple of relationships where I didn't even initiate it, but during this time something happened and it was very powerful. Um, last week we prayed, for, uh, to not the week before, more than one we just had, prayed for the sick, imprisoned, and addicted. Uh, a number of things happened that week, but for me personally, uh, I spent a good chunk of that week in the hospital with my son. Uh, again, didn't plan that out, but uh, and uh, he, God provided some incredible doctors. Uh, the surgery was very successful, and uh, he's here today, of course. I won't point him out, but uh, so. Really just some neat things. And this last week, praying for revival and for our missionaries. Again, I didn't even know it was the Boston Blitz. So lifting that up in prayer and to see what else God might have for us. Uh, but this has been a, a good time in prayer. And again, I hope uh, this isn't the end of praying for us. Uh, the furthest thing from that, I hope this is an encouragement for us to keep praying. I hope it's a statement really to us of the power 
of prayer. A prayer is a powerful thing. And interestingly enough, I think prayer is one of those things that is sort of under attack. That's a picture of Dennis praying behind me. Um, now, I don't know, I never asked Dennis, Dennis, were you praying or were you napping? I don't know. So, we're just going to go with praying, Dennis. Don't say anything, never mind. We'll just go with praying. You look very prayerful in that situation. But we're grateful for the, the power of prayer. And I think prayer in many ways is under attack. Uh, you've seen that uh, in the, out there in the culture. Uh, thoughts and prayers is, a, is an excuse. Uh, it's no, there's no power in prayer. It's a waste of time uh, to pray. Um, you see that out there. There's a real doubt in prayer. That's nothing new. Um, we've seen that. Uh, we see that really in Job. Job 21.15. Describing the unrighteous. He says, what is the Almighty? Quoting them. What is the Almighty that we should serve Him? And what profit do we get if we pray to Him? In other words, prayer is a waste of time. You could be doing something better, more important than praying. I want us to look then, as we could have close up this series, I know we've been looking at the miracles of Jesus, but today I want to look at the power of prayer from Luke 11. Prayer is a powerful gift from God. Look with me, if you will, on the screen, or in your Bibles, Luke 11, 1 to 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence... He will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Prayer is a powerful gift from God. There is an outline in your bulletin if you'd like to take a look and follow us along or if you'd like to take notes. But first, uh, pray with know-how. You know what I mean, right? Uh, the know-how. That God, Jesus actually teaches us how to pray. And so when we pray, let's pray with an understanding of how we're supposed to pray. Um, He starts off here, Jesus was praying. Uh, So Jesus not only taught on prayer, as we're going to look at, but he modeled actually praying. Uh, He spent a lot of time in prayer. In fact, at one point it says he spent the night in prayer. Uh, Imagine that, spending the entire night uh, with the Lord in prayer. He fasted uh, for 40 days in prayer out in the desert. Jesus modeled oftentimes praying. Think about that. He is the Son of God. (laughs) I mean, he has got a direct connection with the Father, constantly. And yet Jesus 
spends a lot of his very limited earthly time praying alone with God. He modeled prayer for us. When he finishes, uh, one of his disciples says to him, Lord, teach us. Uh, So there's an instruction here. Teach us now how to pray. John, meaning here John the Baptist, taught his disciples. Now, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And Jesus says, verse 2, when you pray, uh, and the assumption behind the word when is that you are praying. (laughs) So if you're a Christian and you don't pray, there is something seriously wrong there. Uh, When you pray, which should be often, should be daily, as we'll see when he talks about bread, uh, at least daily, constantly uh, with the Lord and pray. Prayer, and he lists out here uh, a sort of abbreviated version of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the Reader's Digest version of the Lord's Prayer. Um, and you wonder, well, what's the rest of it? Um, that's in Matthew's Gospel. So there's different accounts of the Lord's Prayer. Um, and the reason why is Jesus repeated himself often, uh, as any good preacher does, right? You don't just say it once and think everybody's got it. So Jesus preached in multiple locations and multiple times. Sometimes he would say things one way. Another time he would say things differently. He wasn't set on an exact way of saying things. But all the major components are here. He refers to God as Abba. Uh, I think, friends, in many ways, we don't really quite grasp how significant that is. Uh, Nobody called God Abba. You you called your dad Abba. Uh, You called him with a term of endearment, which means almost, I, I like the translation, Dearest Father. Uh, some people use Daddy. I think that sounds too kiddish. I don't think that's the idea. But Dearest Father, a term of endearment, of closeness. One commentator uh, writes about this use of Abba. Jesus' use of Abba was unique among Jewish rabbis. For no evidence has yet been found in the literature of Palestine of my Father being used by individuals to address God. Jesus, however, not only addressed God confidently and, uh, and securely as Abba, but he taught his disciples to do the same. Meaning right here. That's how we're called to now address God with that level of intimacy. He prays then for God's king, for his name, to be hallowed, not hollowed, <laughs> but hallowed, which just means to be recognized as holy. Uh, God is holy. We don't make him any more holy than he is. But to hallow his name is to have his name be recognized to be holy, set apart in all the earth. Uh, to have his kingdom, his rule, and his reign over the earth come. And then verse 3, uh, to give us each day our daily bread. Uh, notice the, the daily nature of that. Uh, there's two words there. Give us each day. So he makes a point to say, every day we're coming to God, asking for bread. And then he doesn't just call it bread, but calls it daily bread. And the idea is we don't pray for our weekly or monthly or yearly bread. Uh, we pray for daily bread. We're constantly, every day, showing our dependence and going to Him, asking, requesting for something. Uh, some have seen this as referring to spiritual nourishment. I don't think so. I think this is actually the one line in the Lord's Prayer that is referring to a physical provision. Lord, we need food. So please provide us food for today. And then tomorrow's going to come and we're going to ask for food and clothing and shelter and all of the physical needs that we need in this life. Verse 4, forgive us our sins. And that 4, right afterwards, as we, as we talked about at the leadership retreat, uh, perhaps is one of the most dangerous words in Scripture because the assumption before we go to God asking for forgiveness is that we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Think about that. Uh, before, uh, the request isn't even help me forgive. The assumption is, before I dare go to God and ask for forgiveness, I have forgiven 
those who have sinned against me. And he uses that term, indebted, which I like. Because <laughs> he could have just used the basic term, sin. Uh, but debt gives, a, gives us a, something tangible, an illustration. And if you've been doing Financial Peace University, you know that debt is dumb, right? Well, spiritual debt is even dumber. Uh, friends, we, when we sin, we owe God. Uh, we've racked up a, a level of debt against Him. Just as someone sins against us, there's a sense in our heart that they have wronged us, that they owe us at least a forgiveness, an apology. So when we sin against God, we rack up this debt against Him. And this debt, friends, is immeasurable. The, the national debt is at, last I checked, which was this week, preparing for the sermon, $17.8 trillion. <laughs> which is, you can't even get your mind around that. But our spiritual debt is even worse than that. Because we could never repay it. As hard as it is to imagine paying back $17.8 trillion, a spiritual debt against God is something impossible to pay back. And so what he's asking is that God would cancel that debt even as we have canceled the debt that others have gained as they've sinned against us. And finally, a prayer for protection to lead us not into temptation. That God would protect us from evil. Not only would he protect us through the temptation, so certainly when we're facing a temptation, that he would see us through it. As the scripture says, there's always a way out. God never tempts us beyond what we can bear, but always provides a way out. But here the prayer is, lead us away from the temptation itself. <laughs> I don't even want to be in that temptation, Lord. Protect me from even being in it. And we have here, friends, is a, is a model prayer. Now, when I say a model prayer, I don't mean that we must say these exact words. That's not a bad idea. It's certainly nothing wrong with saying the Lord's Prayer. We just did it during the pastoral prayer. Um, so, yes, churches do it all the time. I think even in... The Senate and the House, they say the Lord's Prayer as well. Uh, nothing wrong with actually saying the Lord's Prayer, but that's really not the point, to just sort of repeat this as a mantra, you know, say this nine times or something like that. Uh, that's not the idea of the Lord's Prayer, uh, but it is a model for us of how to pray. And one thing we can certainly say is, as we said, there's two different places where we have the Lord's Prayer in the Bible, and in both places, they're different. Uh, they're not exactly the same. What does that tell you? That there isn't a set exact way to say it. Uh, Who who grew up saying uh, trespasses instead? Probably more. And who grew up saying debts? Okay, all right. So there's our Protestants and our Catholics pretty much there. Uh, Both of them are saying the same idea, right? We have transgressed against God. We've sinned against God. We've owed God uh, a debt. Uh, the, The idea is, are we praying the very things that he's talking about here? Are we recognizing our dependence upon God? Uh, notice the priority of prayer. Uh, it doesn't rush in uh, with, a, with a prayer for daily bread. Start with a recognition of who God is. And that the priority is that his name is glorified. That his kingdom is coming. Which means people are being converted. Repenting of their sin. Turning to faith in Christ. And giving their lives over to him and living for him. Uh, that's the priority. <laughs> that the gospel goes forth. And then yes... Asking for God to provide is a good thing and a necessary thing and something that we should be doing. Uh, There is absolutely nothing wrong with asking God for physical blessings so long as we understand that God is God. He's not a a giant cosmic candy machine where we tell him what we want and he's got to sort of pump it out and give it to us. 
uh, but asking for his provision is certainly something we're encouraged to do. Going to him regularly for forgiveness. Yes, in Christ on the cross, all of our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. But nevertheless, we go before him, confess our sins, remind ourselves of our need of grace, of the work of the cross, remind ourselves that we are forgiven in Christ. And then finally, to recognize our need of protection as we live this life, spiritual protection over our lives. It gives us here a model for prayer. Uh, pray with know-how. Uh, pray with an understanding of what prayer is. And this is one of the most common questions I get about prayer. People say, I don't know how to pray. Well, the good news is, God gives us an instruction right here of how to pray. So start by praying this way. Uh, look, you can say the, say the Lord's Prayer certainly, but look at the model of prayer, how he goes about it. And this isn't the only prayer that Jesus said. Jesus said multiple prayers. In fact, I don't know if you know this, Jesus would never pray this prayer. Uh, He himself could never pray this prayer because it asks for forgiveness. And Jesus is alone, sinless. This is given to us as an instruction of how we approach God in prayer. Uh, Here's one of the the secrets of prayer before we move on. Uh, Prayer uh, is us, is, is yes, asking for God for things. And, and, and looking for him to answer. And God does actually answer us. Uh, and yes, there's such thing as a, a bad prayer. <laughs> uh, the Bible describes bad prayers. If you ask for sinful things, that's not a good prayer. Uh, don't ask for sinful things. Uh, if you pray with doubt, that's not a good prayer. James, the book of James tells us. Uh, one person came to Jesus and said, Lord, if you can, would you heal my son? And Jesus' response was, if you can. If you can, anything is possible with God. So praying with doubt is certainly not a good thing. And even our motives. Uh, James, the book of James, again, tells us we, we pray looking for our own selfish desires. Right? If that's, if that's your prayer, really not a good prayer. Uh, let's put it this way. We can get better at prayer. And so he gives us the model of prayer. But here's the secret to prayer, friends. Uh, when our prayers become more in line with God and what he wants the more they're answered (laughs) with a yes. Now, it it sounds like a trick, but it's not. Uh, And you see these sort of, the the Bible gives us these huge promises when it comes to prayer. Pray to move a mountain, and the mountain will be moved. Whatever you ask, you can get. Uh, Believe that you've received it, and you have it. I mean, just huge, massive promises when it comes to prayer. But it's, it's easy to overlook these little tiny phrases like, according to his will. Or whatever you ask, in my name. Or that little word we stick at the end of prayer, amen. Which ultimately says, but I put it in the hands of God and trust your will. But the more we know God, the more our prayers are shaped by the Bible, the more we want what God wants to give us. And the more we ask for what God wants to give us, the more we receive it. So friends, for example, if your prayer is, help me to win one of these two big lotteries. (laughs) I'll do so much good with it, all right? I mean, sure, sure there's not, nothing wrong with that prayer. As I just mentioned, you can ask for physical things. Uh, just recognize God may not give you that <laughs> because he is just good things, and that may not be the thing that he wants to give you, and it probably isn't good for your soul in the long run. Uh, but if your prayer is, God, I want to know you more. I want to know you more. I feel like I'm just skating on the surface, and I want to know you more. That's a prayer God loves to answer. That's a prayer that he answers pretty quickly, in my opinion. 
When our prayers become more shaped by the scriptures, the more we'll see the answer yes to those prayers. Look with me at five through eight. Pray persistently. So not only do we pray with know-how, we pray with, as Jesus has instructed us to pray, looking at the model of prayer that he gives us here. But look, pray persistently. And he gives us here an illustration. This is an interesting illustration. I think this is meant to be semi-humorous. And, you know, 2,000 years, different culture, different translation. We kind of miss it. But the idea is, which of you who has a friend, verse 5, will go to him in the middle of the night? So it's kind of an audacious thing to do. Uh, Most people travel that night. So if this guy shows up at his house in the middle of the night, now he's got bread. He doesn't have any bread. So he shows up at the middle of the night and says, give me three loaves. You know, just three little pieces of bread, rolls of bread, so I can help him out. uh, Because i got this friend who's needed, who's here. And remember, uh, hospitality was a big deal. Um, it's a really big deal in, in Middle Eastern culture. Uh, if, if somebody comes under your roof, uh, you really have to you owe him your life to protect him. I mean, you're supposed to provide for him and everything. Uh, I remember when we, we showed up, I think it was about the middle of the night in Nepal at somebody's house, um, and we felt bad. We just said, no, no, we'll go home, we'll sleep, we'll see you in the morning. No, 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 no. They came in, the, the uh, mother of the house there cooked us a whole meal and everything. They felt the, an obligation uh, to provide us a meal, even in the middle of the night. It's just the way the, the culture works. So he said, I got this visitor. He showed up unexpected. I need some help. Verse 7, uh, the man of the house says, what are you doing? Don't bother me. Uh, the door is shut. I've already locked it in. Children are in bed with me. They all sort of shared one bed. I'm not going to get up and give you anything. Go away. Uh, you know, the stores are all closed. There's nothing you can do. Uh, but the idea is, he just keeps going. <laughs> he just keeps knocking. He just keeps yelling, I need your help, and doesn't give up. You know, in, in our sort of modern, he keeps texting, and he keeps FaceTiming, and he keeps emailing, and he keeps calling, and he keeps going and going again, and won't give up. Finally, the guy will get up and help him, and it says, not because he's his friend, doesn't care about him as a friend in that way, uh, that's not the point here, but because of his impudence, which is an interesting word. Some of you guys may have a translation that says persistence. I think that's a safer word um, to translate this Greek word. But impudence means rudeness, audacity. Uh, he, he's not going to give up to the point of even being rude to his friend. Or he may even, this friendship may even be at stake going forward because he just won't give up. And Jesus' point is prayer at times needs this persistence. And we don't give up. Uh, Maybe rude doesn't work in the translation over how we relate to God. But maybe that boldness, that willingness to keep going, uh, to not give up on a prayer. You might say, well, why does God want us to be persistent in prayer? What's the point of that? I mean, don't, doesn't he, if we tell him what we need, doesn't he already know, now he knows, I don't need to go to him again? Well, the truth is, friends, the scriptures say, he, didn't, he knows what you need even before you go to him once. <laughs> so why pray at all if he already knows? Because he wants us to show our dependency on him. That's what prayer does. Uh, yes, prayer is answered by God. Uh, so it's not, it's not as if it has no effect on God. That's not what I'm saying. But it does something in our own hearts. It shows that we need him. God, I need you. I need your help. <laughs> I can't do this. You go to the next day. God, please, I need your help. Please help me with this. And again and again and again with persistence. And then God oftentimes answers that prayer. There are a number of things I think that fit with this. Uh, the way we should pray with a continual persistence. You can pray with anything with persistence. But I would say a number of things. Certainly bread. Daily provision, as I said. 
Not something you just pray for once. You continue to ask God to provide. Uh, Sometimes God puts us on the edge a bit. Uh, He's done that certainly with us as a church. We're on the edge a little bit financially. God, help us. We need your help. And then he provides. And then there's an abundance. And I'm sure that's not going to be the last time that happens. And he's going to do it again and again. Because he wants us to show our dependence. I think he does that with our kids, certainly. Um, no, no one prayer for your kids is going to do it. You're going to be praying for them for the rest of your life. <laughs> uh, you're going to continue to pray for them. At every stage of life, there are new struggles and needs. And you pray for them then. And they hit, you know, as they're little kids. And they're teenagers. You pray for them then. And then they're in college. And you're praying for them then. And, uh, you know, I, for me, I, it was shocking to watch my son drive my daughter off to school. Can you imagine as a dad, like they're just, they're disappearing into the horizon. And I'm sitting there going, wow, I have no control over anything. All right, God, please. Certainly praying for people's salvation. Persistence. I love the example of George Mueller. George Mueller was uh, an Englishman who uh, started orphanages, a Christian. And he says this in 19, in November of 1844, uh, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without one single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land or on the sea, and whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. Now that is commitment, right? Sick, doesn't matter, on the sea traveling. Every single day I pray for these five people. Eighteen months, year and a half, elapsed before the first of the five was converted. I thank God and prayed on for the others. Five years, every single day, like he said, without fail, five years elapsed, and then the second one was converted. I thanked God for the second and prayed for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them, and six years more passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three and went on praying for the other two. These two remain unconverted. I have been praying, so at the time of his writing this, I have been praying day by day for nearly 36 years for the conversion of these two individuals. And yet they remain unconverted. For next November, it will be 36 years since I began to pray for their conversion. But I hope in God. I pray on and look yet for the answer. One, this is my update, this is the update here. One of these persons was converted shortly before George Mueller's death. And the other was converted after Mueller had passed away. 36 years of praying. And I know that many of you guys have family members, close friends, and you're praying for them, praying that they might come to know the Lord. Don't give up on that prayer. (laughs) Pray, pray, pray. As the scripture says, as long as it's called today, harden not your heart. Keep praying. And one other thing I would say that it's worth persistent prayer for is revival. Revival. One of the things we've been hopefully praying for this week. Uh, revival, if you don't know, is when God uh, not only works in a, a single local church to be faithful, but in an area where he sort of brings a whole area, brings the spiritual temperature up in a whole area where there are people who are converted uh, widely in an area. And throughout history, we see a number of these things happening. I just want to point out one of them that happened in Ireland in 1858. This was in the, the book... Uh, the, that we, we had passed out there, How to Pray by R.A. Torrey. 
Um, and he writes this, around the spring of 1858, a, a work of power began to manifest itself. It spread from town to town, from county to county. The congregations became too large for the buildings, and the meetings were held outside. Imagine that. Uh, they were often attended by many thousands of people in, in Ireland. Many hundreds of people were frequently convicted of sin in a single meeting. In some places, listen to this, the criminal courts and jails were closed for lack of occupation. <laughs> there was no one committing any more crimes in, this, in the whole area. So they, you know, the, uh, the jails had to close down. They were manifestations of the Holy Spirit's power in a most remarkable character. And most people thought that just came out of nowhere. This revival just sprung up. But he writes, Ari Tori writes, about this other great awakening in Ireland in 1859. By many who were unaware, it was thought that this marvelous work came without warning and preparation. Not true. There had been two years of preparation. There had been constant discussion in the General Assembly of the low state of spiritual fervor and the need of revival. There had been special sessions for prayer. Finally, for four young men who became leaders in the origin of the great work, they began to meet together in an old schoolhouse and pray. Friends, that's what we do. Pray constantly that God might give a revival, a mighty work of His hand. We pray persistently. And lastly, friends, we pray confidently. Pray confidently. Look what he says in, in 9 through 12. I love this description. First of all, he gives these images of prayer. Uh, ask, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. The images are pretty clear there. Somebody's asking, requesting for something. Uh, maybe they're, they're, they're going to a, a father, as we'll see in just a bit. Or maybe they're requesting something of a, a court, of, of a judge, or something. But they're continuing to ask. Uh, somebody is seeking, they've lost something, you know, when you lose your car keys and you're just searching and searching and searching throughout the house, or they're knocking, trying to get into some place. And what does he say? Those who ask will be answered, those who seek will find, and those who knock, the door will be opened to you. That's how prayer works. When you go to God and you ask Him for things and you seek Him, He opens the door. And his description of that, verse 10, is because God looks at us like a father, that's what He does. Everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks will be open. What father among you, and he describes here, uh, has, has a, a father has a son. So imagine a little, little boy. I don't know how old he is. Kind of my mind is 10, something like that. Little boy says, Dad, I got a fish. I'm hungry. Maybe you can have one of those yummy, delicious Sea of Galilee fish. And this is what the father gives him. Wouldn't that be wonderful, right? <laughs> what father would give him a, a poisonous snake on his plate, right? You know, some of you guys are afraid of snakes and you're looking away from this right here. Uh, actually, the, Israel has some very poisonous snakes. Every year we treat, uh, they treat dozens of cases. Uh, the three are the Israeli viper, the black adder, and the Israeli mole viper. And they can be fatal. So the idea is, why would a, why would a father give a, a poisonous snake to, to his son who's, who's asking for... Just asking for a little bit of a, a snack here. Or, son says, Dad, you need one of those hard-boiled eggs. I love those hard-boiled eggs with a little bit of salt on them. And his dad says, sure, and he shows up with this instead. Right? What kind of father would do that? That's the question. Did Jesus say no father would do that, right? Uh, sadly, maybe there's some. Obviously, there are abusive fathers, and uh, as terrible as that is. But generally speaking, no father would want to do that. We can take the scorpion out of the way there. Those who don't like bugs and scorpions and those types of things. But I love what Jesus says. He says, if you, though you are evil, did you catch that phrase? 
So he's saying, uh, we recognize that we live in a fallen, depraved, and sinful world. But even in that sinful world where people are killing each other and they steal from one another and they're selfish in their motives and so forth, so forth one thing that is generally true, again, not 100%, is a parent takes care of his kids. A parent's going to be generous to their own children. Now, they're not going to seek their harm. How much more so if God in heaven is your father, your dearest father who loves you? Verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And one of the things we do is when we go to him, we can go with confidence. Uh, we're not going to a God who is angry with us when we pray. We're not going to a God who is reluctant and irritated by our presence with him. I got better things to do. Don't bother me. <laughs> we're going to a God who looks at us with love. Now, if your kid comes to you and asks for something, maybe you can provide it for her. Maybe you can't. Maybe she's asking for something that's good for her. Maybe she's not. But if you're a loving father or mother, you're going to consider it. Right? I mean, you're going to think about it. If I can give it and it's good for you, then I'd be happy to give it to you. The same way when we go to God, we go to someone who loves us and wants what's best for us. We can go to him with confidence, friends. Just a few other things about it. We can go to, we go to him as Father, as I said. That's the type of relationship that Jesus calls us into when it comes to prayer. He wants us to go to God as a son or daughter in the presence of a father. Notice that he gives good gifts. We know how to give good gifts, so God only gives good gifts to us. Sometimes we ask for things that are not good for us. Maybe the, the, the gift itself is, is, a, is okay, but it's not meant for us. You know? It's not what God wants for us. He's got a, a different plan, a different direction that he wants us to go in. He only gives us good gifts. And notice what he says. Uh, Jesus sort of throws a little bit of a, a switch, bait and switch at the end, right? And in verse uh, 13, if you missed it, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you what you ask for? No, the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Because he knows what our the greatest gift is and our most important need is. The very presence of God with us. Really, when you think about it, it's the, it's the summation of every gift. Uh, to have the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God in our midst. This is what Matthew Henry said. We must ask for the Holy Spirit, not only as necessary in order for our praying well, but as all spiritual blessings are included in that one. For by the influences of the Holy Spirit, we are brought to know God and ourselves, to repent, to believe in, and love Christ, and so are made comfortable in this world and meet for happiness in the next. What we all really strive for, most importantly in life, is happiness, it's joy. And we think sometimes that winning the Powerball or the Mega Millions, that's what's going to give us that happiness. Or that raise that we want, or that spouse that we really want, or for my kids to be um, successful, or if I could just get rid of the sickness and this ailment, and then I'll truly be happy. <laughs> That's not what really makes us happy. We were made for God. Instead, we were made with a God-shaped hole in our soul, in our heart. Or Augustine, the famous uh, theologian, said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. What fills that heart? Nothing in this world but the presence of God himself, the Holy Spirit. Every request we have 
in a sense, is simply an echo of this request that God himself, by his spirit, would be with us. Friends, prayer is a powerful gift from God. These 40 days are over. Uh, Where do we go from here? Uh, One of the things we go from here, hopefully, is keep praying. (laughs) Keep fasting. Some of you guys fasted for the first time in your life during this 40 days, which is amazing. Continue to use that gift of fasting. Continue to pray. Continue to meet to pray. Continue to watch God for answers, as we've been doing during this 40 days. Uh, Join a community group. Get involved with a small group of people who are going to encourage one another. Make that commitment to be with a group of people who are spiritually accountable to one another, fellowshiping with one another, growing together, and believe in the power of prayer. Never divorce from our actions, but a truly powerful gift that God's given us. Would you pray with me? Well, gracious God, thank you uh, for hearing us. Thank you for these 40 days, Lord. Um, We've done some amazing things, truly. And I hope that that is something that many here, if not all of us, can see. Father, help us not to see prayer as finished and done, behind us now, but let this only be an encouragement. (laughs) Truly successful time of prayer, which leads us into even more prayer, even more desire to pray to you and be with you. Father, I pray for our church family. Um, We know how powerful prayer is and that there are many here, Lord, who are seeking you. Um, There are many, perhaps in this room, or some in this room, who don't even know Jesus yet. They haven't been brought into this relationship with you as our Abba, as our dearest Father. And perhaps at this point they see you as a somewhat distant God. That God hasn't become real for them yet. Thank you, Father, that you want this type of relationship. This is what you want from us, Lord, to look to you as our dearest Father. And so we pray for any here who are seeking and thinking that you would draw them into this relationship, help them to know how much you love them, how you call them to yourself, how you want them in your presence, that we can depend upon you. But for all of us, Lord, for the many here who have walked with you for decades, help us to continue to grow. Help us to continue to recognize our daily dependence upon you. That we need prayer. And the reason why we need prayer, Lord, is because we need you. And finally, Lord, I just pray, we pray together, that if indeed it is your will, that you would work a revival. Uh, Maybe not in our day, maybe like Mueller, it'll come after our passing. But we pray for it nevertheless, that you might do a mighty work in this area, right here in Merrimack Valley, in New England, uh, bringing many to yourself, seeing churches so full that they have to take to the outdoors and seeing the prisons emptied out because the effect has been so powerful on the whole community. But Lord, we lay it at your feet, trust in your will, and look to you. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.